Welcome back, Meatsiders, to the podcast that seemingly has the momentum of a runaway freight train. But there's no need to ask why we're so popular, because wrestling is always popular. This is One Man's Meat, the podcast that searches the dark and dusty corners of professional wrestling to focus on the forgotten wrestlers, factions, shows and storylines. As always, I'm Chris, a.k.a. Big meaty cool and I'm riding solo at this moment in time so basically what has happened is as you will hear shortly Danny is hosting this particular episode looking at Albert's first time in WWF and WWE but unfortunately he didn't leave time for the intro to be recorded live as it were so I just wanted to step in at this point Just to let you guys know that the One Man's Meat podcast is proudly part of the Unbooking the Territory family of podcasts. All of the main episodes of this podcast, as well as new episodes of our spin-off show, Cold Cuts, are available exclusively on the UTT podcast feed before appearing on our main feed seven days later. However, bonus shows including our horror movie review series Disgusting Awful, look out for our review of The Devil's Rejects dropping soon, and Big Meaty Cool solo series Acceptable in the 90s will appear exclusively on the main feed for this podcast. So please search in your podcast provider for One Man's Meat Podcast and subscribe to receive more of our glorious audio, which is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Amazon Music. And as always, lovelies, if you're feeling particularly generous, any and all reviews placed within your providers will help increase our awareness across the podosphere. So please help your brothers out. Please and thank you. And as you may also be aware, we have pinned to our Twitter profile at One Man's Meat Pod, Ask Meat Anything. This is the opportunity for you guys to ask us questions on the regular, be it on topic, non-topic, completely ridiculous, whatever it may be. Do please get involved and we will be reading questions out at random points during future episodes. But without further ado, I am here to introduce you to a man who has well over 50 body piercings and the hairiest back that you've ever seen. But Trish Stratus still finds him sexy. It's D-Train himself, the meat guy, Danny, the Scottish Juggalo! Good evening and good morning, everybody. Um, Wherever time you're listening to this, uh, this is One Man's Meat podcast with the great Chris Bellis and myself. And today we are going to be talking about a very special individual who was in wrestling. It is Matt Bloom slash Albert's time, first run in the WWE slash F. But before we get into that, Chris, uh, what's your beef this week? Um, thank you, Danny. Yeah, um, so I have been reading Bret Hart's book again lately. Um, I go back to it every few years and... It's long, but with a life like his, it has to be. Um, I- I'm sure you've read it before, mate, but if not, you absolutely should. Oh, yeah, I love it. I love the burial he gives to Dean Malenko in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it's, it is certainly something. Uh, but yeah, that is my beef this week, mate. What about yours? Mine would definitely be... So on Monday, the uh, disbandment, if that's a word, the um, breaking up of Sum 41 was announced after 27 years. So... I went on YouTube and had a, a good old binge that turned into songs that I'd never even heard of from Sum 41. A lot of them were copied from other songs from lesser known bands, um, but I'm still enjoying the hell out of, of their run and I'm sad to see them break up. Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest mate, they're, they're not a band that I, I massively got into, but um, they have a couple of tracks that I quite like. and. Uh, yeah. I do like on their albums that they masquerade as an old school metal band as well. So yeah, um, yeah, it'll be sad to see them go, but yeah, I'll, I should check out a couple of their albums really. Yeah, yeah, definitely, mate. So today we talk like we were saying about Albert Matt Bloom, and I'll just have one question to ask you first, Chris. What's your first memory of the first time you remember seeing Albert slash Matt Bloom? Okay, mate. So uh, for me, it was. Around the time that WWE programming started to be shown on Channel 4 back in the year 2000, because Albert was very much a staple of heat in his early years. So that would be it for me, really. I didn't really see a lot of his stuff with Draws until the the network came along, because obviously uh, Raw wasn't as readily available here as the likes of AEW is. Um, What about you, mate? What, What is it about Albert that grabbed you as a fan? There was two things. First off, do you remember the Argos magazine would uh, advertise uh, wrestlers, wrestling toys inside the magazine? Yeah. There was he was always in there for like a good, I want to say two years that they would use they would lazily use the same image to promote WWF toys, and he just looked so cool because his beard style um, in the figure was really cool. His attire wasn't was so so because it, they just lazily put a black t-shirt um painted a black t-shirt over his body and just giving him black trousers but i always thought because of his um beards that he looks so cool and the the first memory i have of him on television was a sunday night he episode that wasn't this segment was not shown in america it was the formation of x factor um, and it was, do you know, we had those uh, International Heat episodes in the UK. Yeah. I found out this was never shown in America for some weird reason, but I'm so glad that I saw this because I remember uh, X-Pac talking about uh, wanting to be the leader and he had Albert as his bodyguard and he had Justin Incredible as basically his tag team partner. But we're going to get into the X Factor because that's uh, that's in this covered in this first um, uh, portion of his career. So just to go back to the beginning, Albert was trained uh, in part by Killer Kowalski in the late nineties, and then he went to WWF's um, developmental territory. But his first name was. Uh, aptly named Baldo, which I found was actually a re- really cool name. What do you think about that name, Chris? Uh, well, it certainly describes him well, doesn't it? Because um, he was, and you know, I'm I'm all for anybody promoting the fact that they are bald. I'm yeah. a bald man myself, and if yeah. I could get away with it, I'd I'd let my patients call me Baldo as well. <laughs> but I, I think that that is so cool that he used his finisher was the Baldo bomb, and he used that 
well, all throughout this run. So it was nice that he had that little tribute to his former um, ring name all throughout his career. So I, I thought that was really cool. Um, he had some highlights in uh, the developmental program from WWF uh, called Memphis Power Pro Wrestling where he would uh, feud with Jerry Lawler and even Michael Hayes, which I was actually surprised to um, hear about. I didn't know Michael Hayes was still wrestling in 1999, <laughs> did you? No, I didn't myself. It was one of those things where you, you come to realise when you get into wrestling enough to kind of look at the background of things, where when these like older stars would go to WWF as like, backstage interviewers or commentators or whatever they don't actually go there to die it's like they they kind of do stick around as wrestlers at some point i mean obviously quite famously jerry lawler would still wrestle on the independent scene but yeah i had absolutely no idea that michael hayes still put his tights on from time to time either i mean it makes a lot of sense but yeah I mean, being that he's yeah. still in his 30s at that point as well well exactly yeah yeah i mean the biggest when i'm just gone off this a little bit the biggest shock i remember about something similar to that was the fact that ted dibiase was still wrestling in 2006 on house shows for smackdown that just that right. just blew my mind away so as you were saying wrestlers don't go there to he came there to wwe well back to wwe to be a, a creative uh, team member and the fact that they let him wrestle as well which i'm desperately trying to find those matches someone has to have recorded them in the audience <laughs> Yeah, because one of the things that I picked up with him is that, obviously, when he was the manager of the Hardy Boys, he had the walking cane, didn't he? So yes. I was just led to believe that he literally couldn't wrestle anymore. So so maybe that was just to add to his look or whatever. I, I don't know, because I know he, uh, well, he, he wears some ridiculous things in real life now, doesn't he? But yes. when he wears his like full-length pimp suits and that, he's always got the cane as well, doesn't he? So maybe yeah. it was just a kind of you know thing that he likes to have with his ensemble. Who knows? Yeah, and then the Godfather stole his gimmick. Oh, totally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yep, um, speaking of gimmicks, so Albert in this era went through... Oh, God's just going to keep calling him Albert because that's what I know him as. Go for uh, it. Went through... A, quite a lot of gimmick changes and uh, so he when he debuted um, in on April the 11th 1999 of, on the edition of Heat um, as the po personal bodyguard of Droz what do you think of this type of uh, character Chris is it could it work or was it just more attitude error slash Jerry Springer occupational gimmicks that have just come to life it definitely plays into the Attitude Era, most definitely, because I believe around this time there were some vignettes for Droz, because he'd had a bit of a, a repackage of him kind of being this Jerry Springer-style yeah. party boy thing going on, alternative lifestyle. So, yeah, it definitely plays into that, because obviously Albert was brought in as the personal tattooist of Droz wasn't he so yeah. so yeah I think it is just a, a modern take on kind of you know the second jobs gimmick for wrestlers really yeah yeah occupation and he would go on to form a trio which is basically a lot of his career spent in trios um so he would go to form a trio with Droz and a wrestler called Key who was Vic Grimes 
until Droz's accident in the um, later part of 1999. Albert at this point was just thrown into a tag team with the Big Boss Man and that pairing with Big Boss Man I cannot remember any of that and I, I don't I just don't think I've seen any of it um do you have any memories of that Chris Big Boss Man and Albert so it was this pairing that I originally found Albert for the first time because this was during yeah. the first few months of heat on Channel 4 so that's the only time that I saw it really but yeah even then like I this is going to make Steve very angry, but I I loved the Big Boss Man's Attitude Era character because having having seen him as the you know colourful hero of the eighties to kind of see him as this bitter old veteran, um, you know, dressed all in black and in the best shape of his life and stuff, yeah. I really enjoyed it and I liked the character. So I could see why they'd pair him together, but they still looked out of place. Yeah, yeah, it, it kind of to me when you put those two characters together, um, it makes no sense because the big boss man's uh, yes, fair enough, he's a dirty police officer and he's angry and he's is a veteran, but why would he want to hang around with somebody who's a piercing artist and a tattooist? I I just don't get it a little bit there, but yeah, I mean at, at least paint Albert as an undercover police officer the whole time. Yes, like they did <laughs> with uh, Bob Buchanan. Exactly, yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that was a far better pairing, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, big time. And, yeah, one one that will definitely be coming to this show uh, in the near future. <laughs> definitely. And the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree with his lad either, who's doing an amazing job in NXT. So, yes. yeah, something I'd definitely love to talk about is the, uh, the two generations of Buchanan. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It might even get a, an appearance from Neil Buchanan in that episode too. <laughs> Yes, um, Uncle Neil, the uh, the metal guitarist, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it all fits in. <laughs> so then uh, after that kind of fizzled out, Albert would go to where he's probably most known as TNA. Um, for me, certainly, he's mo- most well-known for TNA because that theme song is one of those songs that I've listened to every couple of weeks and it's just I just love the the guitar riffs and everything like that um what do you think of the name TNA for a tag team Chris I mean it stands for Test and Albert so it makes perfect sense I mean there's there's no sexual connotation to it whatsoever <laughs> with them being managed by a, a young fitness model is there no, there certainly is. <laughs> I didn't like it, to be honest. I, yeah. I thought I thought it was very crass. Um, yeah, they could they could have thought of something else to tell. Although, I suppose they'd have found some kind of pun on breasts anyway, wouldn't they? So, I suppose we got what we got. Yeah, we certainly did. And they were. Um, I thought about this as I was looking at the legacy of TNA, and I was just like. You know what? They actually did stand out in the Attitude Era. Um, you had tag teams in 2000. You had the APA. You had Two Call. You had um, Kai and Tai, and you had TNA. And it was like, and you had obviously those were the lower card teams. Then you had your Edge and Christians, your Dudley Boys and Hardy Boys, and things like that. But TNA, to me, is where Test and Albert really. I mean, we've talked about this on our Test episode. It was this is where these two almost became characters like I would say they became characters through this because I think TNA lasted just about a year 
Yeah, I agree. And again, going back to what you said about the tag team team at the time, every team stood out. Like there were no identikit teams or anything like that. Like everybody had something that separated them from the pack. I mean, yes, sometimes it was the racial stereotype, but but every team had a very distinct look. And and yeah, I mean, these guys. I, I think they came together in March of two thousand. Yeah. I think they'd broken up by December, but yeah, yeah. They, they got a good nine months together and one of the things that I absolutely loved about the formation of this team, Danny, and it's probably completely to do with the fact that my only regular viewing of the WWF at the time was through Heat, yeah. it was at that time where storylines would also play out on the secondary shows as well and, you know, Trish basically scouted both Test and Albert if not on the same episode, then on um, subsequent episodes, yeah. by just coming out to the ring and kind of attracting them over to her. So I, I think that's probably why they stand out more for me as well, because you were kind of there for the formation. Uh, but yeah, yeah they, as a team, they, they stood out for me. I thought they really accentuated each other's positives really well. Yeah. And yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I especially think that Albert benefited the most coming out of the team because yeah. people got to see a different side to him rather than just a, a one-sided power guy really yeah yeah brilliantly said mate and as I, I was just thinking that this could have been a reason for Vince McMahon to have Jerry Lawler scream TNA 17 times per match as the camera pans on Trish Stratus as well. <laughs> oh trust me he said a lot of very cringy things about Trish Stratus during this time so yeah I, I wish TNA was all he did say but um yeah, poor girl. Yeah, he said a lot worse. <laughs> he did, the dirty old fecker. Yes, <laughs> but they did have uh, a lot of pay-per-view matches as well, which was always pretty cool, um, which leads us to our first match because we're going to be looking at uh, three matches from Albert's first run, and our first match that we're going to be looking at is from Rebellion 2000, and it is the Dudley Boys versus Test and Albert versus Edge and Christian in a triple threat um, tag team table match. And um, this was your homework, wasn't it, Chris? So I sent you these three matches. This is our first match. Do, do Did you enjoy watching this match? I did. So I, I never mentioned this to you at the time, Danny, but I've actually seen this match live. I was at Rebellion oh. 2000. Wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, um, back back then I, well, it was the year 2000 anyway, so money seemed a lot more plentiful. But yeah, the job that I was in, um, I got weekends to myself. So, so yeah, um, I managed to, there's a, a company, or there used to be a company in the town centre of where I live called Ticket Travel. So basically, you'd go in and order your ticket and they'd put a coach on. So... Um, it meant having to sit on a coach by myself with a load of um, whole, whole smelly marks are distinctively smelly. Um, the, the first 1PW show, there was another bloke who happened to be from Hull that was sat near myself and the young lady that I was with at the time. And honestly, we nearly went home early. He, he stank of like four-week-old bent cheese. Oh, yeah, <laughs> literally, and you could tell that he'd probably woken up in those clothes as well. Anyway, look, yeah. we're all smelly marks in in one way or another, 
I'm just saying, wash your bloody hair. Um, so, so yeah, it wasn't a particularly fun journey there and back. But the show was really good. Uh, you know, it was around that time where, I mean, we, we think British fans are starved of American wrestling action now. In the year 2000, it was practically non-existent. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, it, I, I managed to get a ticket for next to nothing. I mean, I, I had to watch the action on the Titantron. But it was nice to be around, you know, fans that had been starved of the product. It certainly added to it. Uh, but, yeah, to be perfectly honest, the, the most that I saw of this match was via a network screen rather than actually live <laughs> itself. But, yeah, the, the atmosphere for these guys in, in the arena was bloody good. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I've got written down. It was like, there's a saying of, somebody quoted this in the shoe interview, and it said, um, in the Attitude Era, everyone was over. It doesn't matter if you're Crash Holly, Funaki, or The Rock, you're all over. And I certainly could see that in this, because, yes, TNA had a lot of television time and stuff like that. The crowd were really into the Dudley Boys and Edge and Christian, and they were for TNA as well. And yeah. This match, um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, for it being a triple threat tag team tables match, which is hard to say, um, yeah, it, really, really enjoyable. Um, did anything stand out to you in this uh, match? So the first five minutes of the match are definitely the TNA showcase, which it yeah. would have to be because they're only in it for the five minutes because they get eliminated relatively quickly. But I actually liked, it It was almost quite gracious of, of the other two teams, really, to let Albert and to a, a slightly lesser degree test, to be honest. This this was more of a, I can see why you chose this match, really, because it, it is more of a, an out-and-out out Albert showcase for the first five yeah. minutes. But yeah, I just love that Albert gets to put on a properly brutal display of power. It kind of shows that when the two of them were focused as a team, they could face anybody. I mean, one, one of the big things about these guys is that it would always be either their own inexperience in as a team or Trish doing something that backfired that would cause them to lose, really. Um, but, yeah, I, I I just loved it. I um, Like the first five minutes or so, Test and Albert got, got to showcase what they did. I'll be very honest, after they get eliminated... It does devolve into just a standard Edge and Christian versus Dud Dudley Boys tag match, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's one of the better things that the WWF did at this time was their tag team wrestling. Yeah. But yeah, definitely putting in a team that wouldn't otherwise get a look in it in a match like this. Um, yeah. I think it was a really smart move, and it was an excellent opener for the pay per view as well. Yeah, it really was, and I thought. I points of this because the camera was pointed at um Trish Stratus a lot I was I was wondering did they just put these two on the show so that you could get Trish Stratus on camera <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. it could so. be either or <laughs> yeah definitely. but yeah um as you were saying uh Test and Albert eliminated first um it kind of devolves into the did this match really need tagging though that's what I was uh asking myself as especially because it does eventually go into chaos where everyone is going everywhere yeah edge and christian dominate uh devon dudley for quite a long time um then devon makes the tag edge accidentally what's ups christian uh, and i don't know what that move is called so i just said what's ups <laughs> i guess it would be a low blow wouldn't it um, um i think it is called the what's up drop actually oh, yeah yeah, yeah. 
I just thought that's what Bubba Ray Dudley would just say. As as I mean, the crowd really into that. Um, I mean, what you can't whether it's the Bronco Buster, the low blow, it always gets a pop from the crowd. <laughs> just see, because um, I think because Jackass was such a big thing and the most over thing you could do is kick someone in the balls for some reason. Fans love it, but oh yeah, <laughs> you can um, you can say whatever you want about. Whatever people find in the wrestling to enjoy, you know, it can be technical wrestling, it can be brawling, it can be the hardcore style, it can be death matches, it can be Japanese Yoshi style. But one thing that wrestling fans will always like is a good kick in the knackers. Yes. <laughs> Not personally, don't kick me in the knackers, please, listeners. But but yeah, um, it's it's something that we seem to like watching um, yeah. on wrestling for whatever reason. We're, we're a twisted bunch wrestling fans. We are, we are, and we'll fully admit that. <laughs> and then uh, the Dudleys actually hit the WhatsApp on um, Edge and then put Christian through a table, and it kind of just, um, it definitely uh, got the fans invested in the mat, in the uh, set the tone for the entire night because Dudley boys and Edge and Christian and t- and to TNA here, they really, really set the tone for the entire evening. Yeah, they did. And again, going back to what you said earlier, the the only way that this match would have improved in a way is if they had done away with the need for tags because you've already taken out the disqualification stipulation because the only way to actually win the match is to essentially put your opponent through a standing weapon. So having tornado rules to this would have probably just giving it that little bit more of an element of excitement because you know rather than guys being stood on the apron they could have done some stuff on on the outside you know would have made a good use of the multiple 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 camera cuts that this company seemed to love doing but yeah uh, for our first match um excellent showcase of an underrated team um and you knew the Dudleys were going to win anyway because yeah. it's kind of their signature match, isn't it? But yeah, nothing offensive. It was just once once Test and Albert were out of it, it was very much by the numbers after that. But sometimes that's a good thing. Yeah, brilliantly said, mate. And TNA would uh, continue for a couple months after that. And when I do remember on an episode of Raw, um, Albert turning on Test and uh, in December 2000, and it was which something I forgot about was actually TNA d- did continue, but it was Trish and Albert. I actually, I actually thought the whole stable had um, disbanded, but Trish and Albert did uh, continue for a little while on. But I doubt oh. they did anything memorable. No, I doubt it because uh, as as is going to be quite a pattern forming with this guy. Every time he seems to break up with a team, he disappears for months on end, yeah. doesn't he, really? In, in, you know, not not in the strictest sense, but he always ends up on the secondary programming, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, brilliant. So fast forward a, a couple of months, and Albert was really doing nothing, probably appearing on Heat. Um, he really had no character direction while Test was going for the European Championship and things like that until... Albert would meet his next uh, trio pairing, which would be the X Factor. Now, Chris, I have a very important question for you, mate. Go ahead. Do you deal with the X Factor? Oh, uh, yo, I'm always dealing with the X Factor. <laughs> yo, you do. I've been waiting a long time to ask you that. 
There you go. I mean, I mean, Danny, do I do I not look like a guy that has had everything that he's ever wanted and he'll never get it back? I mean, I <laughs> I, I I know you hate that fact, but you can't look at me like that. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, um, the X Factor theme song. I mean, they had three separate theme songs. And that, to me, is one of the most iconic, uh, because it's so bad that it's good. And I love that the X Factor got their own special lighting. They had that little purple, the, the theme of them was, basically, the colour theme of them was purple. Um, I love when a good trio has everything. They have, um, they can hide people's weaknesses, like, say, for Albert, who's not really good on the microphone he could be hidden in this because he was the heater just incredible was more well they wouldn't let him talk but when they did let him talk i would say he was the most strong strongest one of the on the microphone and x park at this point being 28 was the most uh, technically uh, reliable one in the ring um what are your thoughts on the x factor overall chris massively underrated this stable works out for Albert, obviously, as we'll get to shortly, because he gets his, uh, well, probably his biggest success as a singles competitor. But I thought as a team, X-Pac and Just Incredible could have easily had a little run with the belts. And I'm, I'm not just saying that because we're fans of them, but to begin with, they were featured relatively prominently at that kind of stage where you would expect... Yeah, they're normally the third or fourth match on the card, so they probably are going to get the tag team titles, which you started seeing a lot post X Factor, where you'd get teams like, and nothing against these guys because they're competent wrestlers, but if Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch could have got a six month tag team run, there's no reason why these guys couldn't have done. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of teams in like the early 2000s that we just inexplicably seemed to like and yet they would just bounce around wouldn't they like they yeah you know they'd, they'd probably wrestle the same guys and, and this that and the other uh, but yeah i'd have i'd have taken more of a chance on this stable really um especially you know expat got a chance to kind of be a leader of, of something for a change and i don't think he did too badly to be fair i mean you know he's not the best leader of the stable but he showed he could do it at least yeah, yeah, definitely. And it seemed like the further this stable went on, the more kind of like testing they were given to at least X Park and Albert. But with Albert, um, they kind of thought, okay, let's let's have this man have a, have a big breakout year in 2001, which leads us to our second match, which is from SmackDown, June the 28th, 2001, pitting. Albert going after Kane's Intercontinental Championship. I remember watching this match um, and thinking there's no way that Albert is going to beat Kane because Kane was on such a huge push at this point. He was all over television. He was in main events. Um, there was no way that um, Kane was losing this match. What did you think of this match, Chris? So for a, for a TV match, it was relatively inoffensive. I mean, it had 
advancing a completely different storyline written all over it because it came about because Albert had cost The Undertaker and Kane the tag team titles on the previous episode of Raw. Uh, there was titles that were held by DDP and Canyon at the time. They were involved in quite a massive feud with the Brothers of Destruction anyway, so you kind of sense there'd be some kind of um, DDP slash Canyon involved shenanigans towards the end. So it, it reeks completely of a throwaway TV match. But again, Albert at this point was the level of performer that should have had the IC belt anyway. Um, he's in that kind of star on the rise mold. And one of the thing that bothers me about the Intercontinental title from around about the year 2001 onwards, actually, is that they'd, they'd put it on people that were former world champions. And this is kind of, it's quite derivative of WWE as a whole in that everybody seems to get a run with the top belt in the like early to at the early 2000s to the late 2010s everybody seemed to get a run with the top belt and like from the beginning and then when they run out of ideas for them then they'd start putting the secondary belt on them and I think Kane was one of the pioneers of that because yes he'd only had a world title run for like one day at this point but he's still a former world champion and someone that was a bona fide main event talent anyway so kind of don't, don't get me wrong the IC belt looks amazing on him because of his attire and stuff but he didn't need that belt yeah yeah I feel the exact same way that they did uh, a couple of months prior with uh, Triple H when they had him win the Intercontinental Championship if, yeah. despite the fact that the previous Wrestlemania he had main evented and won <laughs> And was a multiple-time world champion at this point as well, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, and a leader of stables. Um, yeah, he was all over television that entire 2000. So I did find it a bit odd, and I'm sure he was not pleased playing second fiddle to Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> but yeah, um, when Stone Cold was out with that uh, with that broken neck, um, a lot of people flourished, like Triple H and The Rock. And yeah, so... When Austin comes back, it's only natural for him to take his place and then Triple H to kind of go there. But we'll do that on another. We'll discuss that on another episode. So with this match, we quickly get to the ring where both Kane will trade and Albert trade punches. But Albert hits an amazing bicycle kick to Kane, flooring him, which I was shocked about because I haven't seen this match in a long time. I would not have guessed that Kane would have left his feet this early in the match. No, definitely. It's kind of... Kane still had that mystique to him as well, didn't he, really? Yeah. Um, in that, apart from the matches he had with The Undertaker, kind of a lot of people found it difficult to floor him. So, yeah, yeah. you know, that's a real showcase of Albert himself that, you know, yeah. he's able to do that. And that's what surprised me throughout this whole match was um, Kane was also working really hard to get Albert over sort of like he he was really selling for Albert which I really loved because it shows the professionalism of Kane um to take this young talent in Albert to say okay I'm gonna make you make myself look weak so especially later on when, when we get an amazing move uh, from Kane but yet there's a lot of punching in this match um a lot of clothes landing and then we get to the highlight of the match Chris do you know what I'm talking about I don't, but I've got a feeling you're going to tell me. Yeah, Kane, for the only time that I've ever seen, and I've watched a lot of his matches, as, we, as you have as well, hits a bloody Hurricane Rana in the ring. 
on Albert, and that just blew me away. I've I've messaged uh, Dan Griffin this, and he has aptly named this the Horror Kane Rana, which was excellent. (laughs) (laughs) I I prefer Frankensteiner myself. Oh, yeah, that's really good as well, actually. Frankensteiner, yeah, yeah. This, can you think of another time that Kane has pulled off this move? I don't think I've ever seen him do it, to be fair. I tried looking up and I could not find anything, but there was a very long Reddit post about this move in particular. Kane to bust this out on a random SmackDown instead of a pay-per-view. But this was fantastic. And um, I remember fans losing their mind at um, TNA Lockdown 2007 when Scott Steiner hit Hara Karana for the first time in about 10 years um, and that had a massive impact on me watching that on DVD for the first time. This had the same impact because I'd completely forgot that Kane could pull out a Horokaran at his size and also at the size of Albert as well. So um, that was the highlight of this match, to be honest with you. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, like as a as as a showcase of what the guy was capable of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and Kane then dominates, um, goes for a giant top rope clothesline, then hits the chokes, then hits the choke slam. But wouldn't you know it? We get outside in- interference from that dastardly stalker, Diamond Dallas Page. Yeah, we we absolutely do. Yeah, he uh, he, he manages to hit the diamond cutter on Kane, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, and is. Quite a brutal looking diamond cutter. And at this point, Albert then hits his finish up, which is very important rather than him just covering Kane. He actually gets up, hits the boulder bomb on Kane and gets the clean pinfall, which I absolutely loved. Um, And as I've just written down, Kane deserves a massive amount of credit on this night because this to me, this this was all about Albert. Fair enough, it was a screwy finish on that part with DDP coming up, but that was for storyline advancement. Albert got a bloody clean pin on Kane in 2001. Just fantastic. What did you think, Chris? Uh, yeah, it was a, a fun little TV match, um, and the right guy won. And it, yeah. it, it was also nice to see Teddy Long before he developed a thing for booking The Undertaker as well. <laughs> very well, very well said. <laughs> So after this, um, Albert would go another, uh, well, basically X Factor would continue uh, throughout the invasion um, storyline, but not for long, because I believe Justin Credible jumped ECW, which made a lot of sense. But I can't remember if X Pac jumped to WCW, he jumped to the um, invasion, did he, or did he stay with the WWF? So Albert and X Pac stayed in the WWF, yeah, Incredible joined the Alliance. Yeah, yeah. So I was trying to look that up, and I was thinking, "Oh man, I could I could not remember." But yeah, so that left Albert kind of once again, kind of like lost in the shuffle once again, despite having the Intercontinental Championship. At that, at this point, um, he would go further and further down the card, um, much to uh, fans of Albert's dismay. So, um, yeah, Albert held the Intercontinental title for a month. And then he lost it to Lance Storm in the end oh, days yeah, of you're the right. um, Alliance. So, yeah, that was on the July 23rd episode of Raw. Yeah, yeah. Do you... And then X-Pac broke up um, after that. But Albert and X-Pac continued as a team until November 
and then Expat got his injury, which sidelined him. So then Albert was left on his own again after that. Yeah, yeah. Until we now, this is a fun discussion uh, to have. He would form a tag team with Scotty Tuhati, wouldn't he? And it was hip hop hippo time, Chris. And oh yes, <laughs> I love the hip hop hippo. Other than your brilliant idea that you once told me on a previous show that we had, where um, he uh, the hip hop hippo would return and team with Scotty Tuhati in uh, about two three years after this. I just wasn't a fan of it at all. Um, I don't know why. It just felt like Albert just doing dance moves. It didn't feel like a new character. Did it stand out for you, Chris, his, this new incarnation of Albert? Um, it totally stood out for me, to be perfectly honest. Um, it actually gave Albert a chance to showcase some range because he, you know, he got to show his comedic side here. Um, I, I will agree that it was at the expense of what made him stand out, but... I didn't mind it, and um, the Sportster.com liked it as well because they they named the hip hop hippo as Scotty Two Hotties' third best partner in his entire career, behind only Rikishi and Grandmaster Sexy. Oh wow! High praise, high praise. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Scotty Two Hotties had eleven tag team partners, so I think that's quite an impressive uh, ranking on the table there. Yeah, yeah, I w- but not my dream one, which is the Boogeyman, because I want a worm tag team. Oh, <laughs> um, fair enough. At this point, if you believe the dirt sheets and various podcasts of like Bruce Pritchard or something, there's a story going around, making the rounds, that George Daniel Steele, wrestling great, and he is, um, was working as a backstage producer and had suggested to Talent Relations that... Albert be his son in a storyline and almost like a George General Steel type character. Do you think that would have worked for Albert in 2001? No, it would have been rubbish. <laughs> That's there's what I there's no other way of putting it. Um, it it just it would have made him an absolute mockery. Um, yeah, you know I can see where George Steele was coming from, but. Um, yeah, it's it's not particularly a character that I think is any good anyway. Um, I think I think George Animal Steel is one of the biggest jerks in wrestling. To be absolutely fair, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty glad that they didn't go with this because I think it would have completely killed off Albert's mystique. Yeah, yeah. There's an old saying of like, if you put the new in front of something, it's just doomed to fail. Like the new rockers or the new anything really. So if you make yeah. Albert, uh, I mean, the similarity, there's really no similarities other than a hairy back and a hairy chest and a bald head. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, a weird one, but yeah. um, So just going back to uh, Albert's um, time with Scotty Totti, it would come to an end when Albert turned on Scotty Totti on the April 14th, 2002 edition of SmackDown. And once again, he was shelved to jobbing on Velocity, uh, well, which was a new show. That At that point, it would have been jacked or metal. And it just, this was a shame because, um, yes, he's turned heel once again, but he's, they've re- it showed that they had no real plans for him once again because he was pinned by the following names. Funaki, Tajeri, Bob Buchanan, Billy Kidman, and... Our favourite, Captain Wanker, Bill DeMott. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Yeah, a, a real cavalcade of big names. Yeah, and I remember on various uh, Monday Night Wars DVDs where you'd hear talents like Billy Gunn say, oh, we was always angry that they would hire, uh, they would bring in WCW guys who hadn't made it and roll over our talent like Billy Gunn, like a hardcore Holly, like an Albert now, because it's very much showing it when you have Billy Kidman and Bill DeMott um, pinning Albert in less than six minutes on Velocity. <laughs> Exactly. And it really is a shame. So clearly they had high hopes for him. <laughs> Thankfully, Albert would undergo his fourth name change and would now be known as A-Train or the A-Train. With this name change, eventually came a change in the booking as A-Train would be featured on SmackDown a lot more, including rubbing elbows with the likes of Zach Galwin, The Undertaker, APA, Sable and Stephanie McMahon. What do you do? You like the A Train character, Chris? I did, and I quite liked the way that you know Albert started to be booked at this point as well, <laughs> because obviously on TV Paul Heyman was playing the general manager character, but behind the scenes he was SmackDown's main booker. And as he'd shown during 2001 when he was on commentary, he was blatantly a massive fan of Albert with all the yeah. different like complimentary nicknames and stuff that he'd find for him. So you could just tell that he was looking for an excuse to not only repackage Albert, but also move him further up the card as well. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I was quite happy because it was somebody that I recognised, you know, getting uh, a bit of a spotlight for a change, which is always yeah. good. It really is, mate. But I think the low point in this there's a match I cannot remember what pay-per-view or if it was on Smackdown or something he faced um, Rikishi in a I think it was the first of a kiss my ass match and um, I remember Albert losing that but I think this was in his early days of A-Train but when we hit 2003 or even late 2002 the booking definitely changed for Albert and we I mean there's a lot of highlights in 2003 the big ones that stand out for me is his match with The Undertaker at SummerSlam 2003. Um, have you seen that match, Chris? Yeah, I will have done. Yeah, 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 because uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing quite a lot of a watch through the early 2000s at the moment. Yeah, and that, I always found it a bit funny because um, the previous year, Undertaker had taken on the the T and now he was taking on the A the next year at SummerSlam so I thought I, I've, my brain works weird in things like that but yeah um, that match I would suggest people go and watch that match apart from the after um, after match angle but we go for a couple months later on and we're going to our third and final match which to me um, I chose this match because there's two talking points that um, are quite important uh, this our final match is from No Mercy 2003 A-Train versus Chris Benoit and um, what did you think of this match initially Chris? Yeah I, I liked it it was it was very physical um, it showcased A-Train as a monster um, allowed Benoit to kind of with a person that had to fight back from an insurmountable odd. I mean, don't get me wrong, it wasn't particularly exciting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was very physical and there's nothing wrong with that. I like that we start with a lock-up 
I mean, this is a wrestling match. It's, yes, they're in a bit of rivalry, but we're starting with like a quite and Chris Benoit and O-Train really look like that. It looked like a, a fair fight between the two of them, despite one of them being like six foot eight. <laughs> they because the um, we get the. Do you remember the shave your back chance? Oh yeah, I mean they've been doing yeah. them with Albert since uh, since the heat days, to be honest. But uh, it was more prominent here because obviously he wasn't wearing the singlet anymore. But yeah, but oh yeah, they 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 really played to it here, didn't they? Yeah, really did. And there's a lot of uh, chops traded in this match, clotheslines, punches. A train uh, dominates for quite a bit of the match, but then Chris Benoit makes the babyface comeback. Um, Chris Benoit bleeds in this match, which I was quite shocked. But then Chris Benoit gets the advantage. He gets three German su- suplexes in. And then we go to the first t- talking point in this, which um, is the, the probably up there in the top five scariest bumps I've ever seen in my entire life, where A-Train is holding Chris Benoit up uh, over his um, head. And he's stumbles on a steel chair that had been placed in the ring earlier and drops Chris Benoit, who lands straight on his head um, onto the steel chair, which looked horrifying, didn't it, Chris? It did look quite brutal, yeah. Yeah, it certainly did. Um, Especially given what we know about, obviously, uh, what happens with Chris Benoit um, after this uh, a few years down the line. So, yeah, it certainly was quite wince-inducing. Yes, and the fact that they showed it on a replay after the match, just, I can't believe this hasn't been scrubbed off of the network, to be honest. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's just ridiculous. That, that chair, I mean, yeah, you could you actually hear um, Albert say to Chris Benoit, are you all right? And Chris Benoit obviously lying to him and saying yes, but really probably having some sort of major concussion <laughs> throughout the rest of the match. But, Shockingly, the match doesn't end as Chris Benoit gets uh, the sharpshooter on and actually wins with the sharpshooter. And I wondered why, because Chris Benoit was not winning a lot of matches with the sharpshooter, but the commentary uh, explained that Stu Hart had died um, a couple of days before this. So I always wonder why. We know Chris Benoit loved um, the Hart family and things like that. I wonder if he... um, had this finish in mind because of Stuart Hart's death or, but that's just a, a random thought I had as this was going on. Um, I think it also plays into where trains upper body as well. Cause it would have maybe helped prevent the crossface from landing yes. properly. Cause he was quite, quite the barrel, wasn't he? So yeah. it would have taken some doing like, I, I know we'd done the move on the likes of the big show in the past, but when you look at the big show from kind of like head to chest, he's quite tapered. And then yeah. he starts to widen out, whereas with Albert, he was just a big unit, wasn't he? So yeah. it, it probably looks a lot more believable that he'd like, do a, a leg submission. Yeah, yeah. And now you say that, I do remember the commentary now saying uh, that that, that A Train had broken out of the um, crossface on the previous SmackDown. So, yeah, it, it was um, definitely um, to do with that storyline. But, um, yeah, uh, and. Unfortunately, um, this is the bad portion of the show because after this, yes, A-Train would appear at various pay-per-views like Survivor Series where he would lose in quite quick fashion in the uh, five-on-five elimination match. Um, But it just seemed like 
Albert, as well now we call him A-Train, will just drop further and further and further down the card um, all throughout uh, November, December and January. I mean, he was in the Royal Rumble 2004, but nothing impressive, I mean, from Albert. It's such a shame at this point, because at this point it looked like, almost like Creative had given up on him. And then later on in the year, uh, he was traded to Raw, which I remember reading about and thinking, oh, wow, now he's going to be in some storylines. I I thought the same about Rhino too, but um, A-Train and Rhino just really weren't featured. And A-Train actually had a match with Chris Jericho on Raw, and it is just, I think it goes under two or three minutes. It's very, very quick, which led me to think Albert may have been injured at that time. But, um, as we've seen with this year, the draft really doesn't matter when it comes to supplemental uh, picks because they have no plans for them anyway. No, exactly. And yeah, it was it was very much indicative at times like this where, you know, the likes of Matt Jindrak got drafted in supplemental drafts and then you just never yeah. see them again. I think it's just an excuse to get people off TV so they can eventually release them, I suppose. Yes, and they would do that a lot um, with uh, just various wrestlers throughout the entire drafts and and things like that. And yeah, um, then unfortunately, A Train's final match would occur on the June twenty seventh, two thousand and four Heat episode um, with a loss to Val Venus. Um, after this, A Train was sidelined to an injury with an injury. Um, and in a shocking move from WWE at this point, um, they had their one of their first uh, major cutbacks where a lot of wrestlers would um, be fired um, because either aged out or that was certainly in Billy Gunn's case, he was told um, they're going with a younger movement, which is ridiculous because Billy Gunn's still wrestling today in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and which, it shocked me that... The T and A were fired on the same day as Billy Gunn, November the 1st, 2004. And both or all three were injured at this point. It's, this is kind of the end of um, A-Train's run in the, for a first run in the WWE. Do you think it was a success or do you just think, I mean, was it all just for nothing really? I suppose you could call it successful. I mean, he was he was there for about six years, yeah. and you know, he was he was featured on TV. Yeah, I mean, yes, I, I know they took him off from time to time, but you know, he always came back, and he kind of fit that mould as well. Of, I mean, let's let's face it, he was hardly going to have a Roman Reigns style run with the big belt, was he? So, no. I mean, he's a he's a character that people remember though, and. Yeah. You know, he was again. He was quite prominent on TV. So, so yeah, I, th- I think his first run was a success compared to other people. When you look at people like, say, Matt Jindrak, who seemingly had like all the goods, and you know, he had nowhere near the the same amount of time on WWF TV. Really, did he? No, no. Well said, mate. And I just sent you uh, two questions about this do you think based off of his first one he could have been put in the WWE Hall of Fame well Coco Beware's in there <laughs> so yeah I mean there's there's people with less memorable or less decent runs that have actually gotten in so yeah why not 
Yeah, and I would have had just incredible when X Park um, induct him. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, let's get X Factor in there. Yeah, <laughs> and um, as I was writing this, uh, this question popped into my head with Trish Stratus being a heel once again. Um, we're not the biggest fans of women's wrestling, but she is doing a good job as being a heel. Um, and oh, she's yeah. brought back her 2000 look as well with the cowboy hat and the long leather jacket. And I thought to myself, imagine if they brought Albert back as a bodyguard. Would you be into that, Chris? Um, I think I'd need to see what he was like on the mic first. Uh, his, his NXT commentary run is absolutely poor. Um, but if you can prove he's a good talker, I mean, why not? I mean, Trish, Trish Stratus is one of the few bright spots um, in women's wrestling anyway. She, she's a pioneer. But to be perfectly honest, mate, she can talk for herself. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you know, maybe if he'd, if he'd still been active, yeah. I'd have maybe had him as like a, a heater for her maybe, but yeah. maybe not as a manager. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And I think at this point, I think all we can hope for is maybe a little backstage segment on the WWE.com uh, or YouTube page or something like that, because I think he is long done with television. And he's, uh, I mean, we'll talk about that on a part two of Albert, but he's uh, still in WWE. Well, he took a long time off, but he's now training the future stars. And I hope he's teaching somebody uh, how to work like he did because he actually worked really well for a man that was nearly seven foot. Yeah, he he absolutely did. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was often a a thing that he didn't focus on. Really, was the size of the guy. But yeah, he, he could he could certainly move. Yeah, he, yeah, quite underrated in that aspect. Yeah. So um, it was definitely sometime last year. I was walking back from Iceland. And I posted on Twitter just randomly out of nowhere. I remember this being a Sunday. And I said, has Albert ever had a bad theme song, HN slash Albert? And you were the only one to write back and said, no, he hasn't. Every song was a banger. <laughs> yeah, totally it was. Yeah, because that is one wrestler that really has never had a bad theme song. And I, I really like that. But yeah, that's Albert part one. We will be coming back to him where... We cover his um, work in Japan and his Law Tensai, the good and bad, and what he's up to today, including that NXT um, commentary, because I think I've only seen brief clips of him commentating, which, um, yes, his name was Jason Albert, which uh, <laughs> is such an odd name for a commentator, but totally fits in with the WWE commentary uh where, why they name their announcers weird names, I'll never know. But yeah. well, it's it's what they want to do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That I mean, everyone has to have like a, a double name or double meaning, like Kevin Patrick or um, just anything. Like it's just weird. <laughs> that is but, his yeah. name, though, isn't it, Kevin Patrick? Is it? Well, I have no idea. To be honest, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> actually, it sounds right since he's Irish. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, thank you everyone for listening about Albert's uh, first run in the WWE. So Chris, where are we going next on our next One Man's Meet episode? I thought next month uh, we could maybe go back to our uh, Forgotten Factions concept. And I want to talk about a stable that had the potential to be 
if not the next incarnation of this faction, at least they had everything going about them that screamed NWO vibes. They had a relatively charismatic leader that seemed to have everything in front of him. And he had a, a squad of thugs behind him to kind of back up everything that he said and did. Uh, but of course, this is uh, the WWE in the 2010s, so things wouldn't quite work out like that. And uh, these guys would end up being seen as something of a joke. But I want to give them a spotlight anyway, because they were never a joke to me. Uh, so, Danny, for the next episode of the main show... I want to talk about the original and best. There'll be no poking around with other leaders that watered this down here. But I want to talk about the original and best incarnation of the Nexus. Oh, that's a really good shout, mate. Yeah, that's something I've only seen various clips of or like a match here and there or read something about. I am very much looking forward to getting into that with you, mate. Yeah. And to clarify... There, there won't be a part two. Uh, there will not be any discussion about CM Punk as leader. There'll be no mention of Michael McGillicuddy or the artist previously known as whatever Bray Wyatt goes on to be because that was all shite. Uh, yes. We will be literally talking about the Wade Barrett faction up until them breaking up and nothing else. That suits me. That suits me perfectly, mate. That is fantastic. Yeah, really looking forward to that. Lovely, yeah, it should be fun. Yeah, so everyone, thank you very much for listening. You can follow us at One Man's Meat Pod on Twitter. And yeah, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And we'll definitely stick around for a part two uh, down the line in the future. But for next month, you're either with us or your Nexus, or however that um, I've probably butchered that. <laughs> what was the catchphrase? Do you remember? <laughs> Um, I don't know what their catchphrase is, but we do have a catchphrase to close out, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, Cold Cuts will return next week. But until next month, in the meantime and in between time, stay beefy. Mm-hmm. Meat Siders! <laughs>